We'll first read the text for this sermon this evening, which is Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. And we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Romans 15, verse 5 and then 6. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. 
And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one, one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. For one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Thus for we read God's holy and in errant words, may God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, did you notice the similarity between the text of the sermon this evening and the text for the sermon this morning. Both texts are prayers offered by the Apostle Paul for the church. Both of these texts are a specific type of prayer, they're a supplication, something that Paul is asking on behalf of the church. In both of these texts, the Apostle Paul indicates to whom he is praying. They both begin, now the God of, and then goes on to make the petition. In both of these texts, the Apostle Paul as well includes attributes or virtues of God. He describes the God to whom he prays. In verse 5, now the God of patience and consolation. In verse 13, what we considered this morning, now the God of hope. 
In both of these prayers that Paul makes on behalf of the church, Paul describes what is his goal, his objective in asking these petitions. In verse 6, he gives the goal that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 13, the goal that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. These are then parallel texts. Different supplications, but parallel insofar as they are both prayers directed to God with attributes of God called attention to with a specific purpose in making that request. Let's consider then verses 5 and 6 this evening under the theme, A Prayer to be Like-Minded. God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded, one toward another according to Christ Jesus. We'll see first that this is a request for Unity, second, what is the source of this unity? And then third, what goal we have in seeking this unity? Why do we want to be like-minded? Generally, let us consider then what is the meaning of this petition that we be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. To be like-minded is straightforward enough to understand. To be like-minded means to have the same thinking, to have the same thoughts, ideas about a particular matter. But that then raises the question, what is it that Paul wants us to have the same thoughts about about what are we to be unified? There are countless matters under the face of the sun about which man either can be in agreement or man can be in disagreement. And some of the things on this earth are, are rather trivial. And it cannot be the case that the Apostle Paul is speaking here of things trivial. Sometimes people become quite animated about the particular sports team that they like to follow. And they're convinced that their sports team is better than the other sports team. But certainly, Apostle Paul is not speaking of something so trivial here as what sports team one follows. Then there are other things on this earth that we judge to be more important. Matters of national interest and national protection, laws, government, taxes. Things that are so important to men that throughout the history of this earth, man has demonstrated he is willing to shed blood over national policy 
taxes was. But even that is not what the Apostle Paul has in mind here when he petitions God that the saints would be like-minded. The like-mindedness that we have must be understood as a spiritual unity. It's a spiritual oneness. There always is going to be within the church differing ideas about things physical. And it's not our goal to try to eliminate differences of understanding and opinions about things that pertain to this creation. But it's with regard to things spiritual that the Apostle Paul petitions God that in in these spiritual categories would man be like-minded, having the same mind, being in agreement on it. That it is spiritual becomes evident in the following phrase. God would grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. But then, then the question is raised, well, what does that look like to have spiritual unity? Even that, is it not a rather broad term? It's, just, it's a vague concept to us, this idea of spiritual unity. And we can speak of spiritual unity in more than one sense of the word. We can speak of a spiritual unity or a spiritual oneness when it comes to the confessions that we have, the doctrines that we believe. That's one sense in which the church of Jesus Christ is to be unified, that with regard to her core doctrines, there is to be unity of thought, an agreement of sentiment, one towards another. It doesn't work in the church to have one person believe that God is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to have the next person deny the Trinity then there is no harmony, no like-mindedness in the church of Christ. That's one sense. But there's another sense in which we can speak of the spiritual unity or the oneness of the church. And that's this sense, beloved. It's the church when she's considered from the viewpoint of her organic life. It's, it's the church as she comes to expression in her relationships of the church members. It's an attitude of love and forbearance and hospitality and humility and meekness that is evident from one church member to the next church member. Of these two senses in which we can speak of spiritual unity, 
becomes clear here that the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit, is emphasizing especially that latter sense. Unity in the sense of the saints loving, fellowshipping, seeking one another. Two things that prove that that must be the case here. The Apostle is speaking of the first in the text itself and the second in the context. First of all, in the text, there's the phrase, God grant that you be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. And another way that we can translate that phrase according to Christ Jesus is this way, beloved. After the example of Jesus. Be ye like-minded one toward another after the example of Jesus Christ. That is, have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. See how Jesus Christ lived and interacted and fellowshiped even with publicans and with sinners. And then follow, be like-minded to one toward another after the example of Jesus Christ. That in the first place indicates that the Apostle is not primarily speaking here about doctrinal unity, but he's speaking about unity as it's lived out in the members of the congregation. The second proof that the Apostle is speaking here of that practical, daily, organic fellowship and living of the church is found in the context. Consider what he says in verses 1 and 2 before the text. We then that are strong, spiritually strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. And then immediately after our text, verse 7, he continues speaking of relationships. 7, wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Both the text and the context make clear that what the apostle is emphasizing is the duty of love that we have one toward another. So what specifically then are we praying for as we with the apostle make this request? Three things we list out. Number one, to pray that God grant us to be like-minded one with another is to pray that God would in grace give us this unity. Now the emphasis on the word grant and grace. That in grace He would grant us. The word grant is used by the apostle. Now the God of patience and consolation 
grant you to be like-minded. That we would pray that God would grant us as a congregation to be like-minded means, does it not? That by nature, we don't have it. By nature, there is not like-mindedness found among the members of the church. But by nature, there's a spirit of competition, trying to edge one another out, have the preeminence, a spirit of arrogance, where one esteems himself to be more important than the neighbor, a spirit of self-centeredness, look out for myself first before I look out for anybody else. And that by nature characterizes the church of Jesus Christ for as long as she is on this earth. When we plead of God that He would grant it, we're acknowledging, we're confessing, Father, we cannot do this of ourselves. We never will seek to love and be patient one with another and edify one another apart from thy gracious gift of like-mindedness in the church. How easily we forget this. We take unity for granted. When it's present in the church, we just assume it will stay there until God takes it away. Then comes division and schism and fighting. And then we realize how precious that unity is. Second, what are we praying here in this text? We're praying, beloved, that God would grant us the ability to recognize and be thankful for the diversity of gifts which God has given unto His church. To be like-minded, as we said earlier, does not mean that everybody is going to be in agreement about things material, about the things of this earth. There are differences even in a church that is united. There are different gifts that God gives unto His church. That's why we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul uses the figure of a body to describe the church. Verse 5, we'll go back to verse, verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Differences of administrations, but the same Lord. Differences of operations, but the same God which worketh all in all. And so as we pray that God would be at work in this congregation 
that we would be like-minded one toward another according to the example of Jesus Christ. We must be careful not to impose expectations upon others that, well, this is what I do for the church. And so really, you should be doing the same thing for the church. How easily we can become critical of others if they do not employ their gifts in the same ways that we would employ our gifts. God gives so many different gifts, strengths, talents to the members of His church, even to this congregation. So many different abilities here. Let us be careful then not to become critical. If others use their gifts in a different way than what we use our gifts. Third, what are we asking here as we make this petition that God would grant us to be like-minded? We are praying that God would grant unto us opportunity to show love and compassion one to another. When's the last time we've sought opportunity to be a blessing to someone else? When's the last time we have gone out of our way to listen to someone who is truly We then, verse 1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. When's the last time we've showed Christian fellowship, hospitality? Verse 7, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Where will this sort of unity come from in the church? It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. The apostle describes him as the God of patience and consolation. May He grant unto you to be like-minded one toward another. Noteworthy here that the Apostle, as he's thinking about the unity of the church, calls attention to these aspects of the divine being. Out of all of the divine attributes, why does he call attention to the fact that God is the God of patience and the God of consolation? When we think about what is necessary for the presence and the maintenance of unity within the church of Jesus Christ, what would be the first things that would come to our mind? Somebody who loves doctrine, probably the first thing it's is truth. There better be truth. If there isn't truth, there won't be unity. Somebody who emphasizes 
or going out and showing hospitality and service one to another, he might say, love. If there isn't love, there won't be unity in the church. And they're both right. But that's not what the apostle calls attention to in this verse. He says, now the God of patience and consolation. Patience means steadfastness, enduring power. Consolation means literally comfort, related to the word used in scriptures to describe the Holy Spirit, who is the promised comforter. So why does Paul not describe God here as the God of truth or the God of love if the goal is unity in the church? What we must understand here is that the Apostle Paul is teaching us. He is teaching us about what is necessary for there to be like-mindedness among the members of the congregation. And there not only needs to be truth, which is the foundation, the basis of the church's unity. And there not only needs to be love, which compels man to actively show that unity in the church of Jesus Christ, but there also needs to be patience and consolation. How necessary are patience and consolation as they relate to the unity of the church of Jesus. Consider what happens when there is not patience and when there is not consolation in the church. The opposite of patience is being quick to wrath. Somebody who is easily troubled, easily upset about anything in the church that doesn't go his or her way. An individual who blurts things out with his mouth, and perhaps without even intending to do so, creates schism, division in the body. Can you see how when there is not patience among the members of the congregation, and it takes away from the unity? And then the next word, consolation, the God of Patience and consolation. Do you see how consolation, comfort, relates to the unity of the church? It's the opposite of comfort. Anxiety. Guilt. Stress. Do you see how anxiety, guilt, and stress are notorious thieves? that rob the blessed unity of the church of Jesus. When one is stressed, when one feels overwhelmed with guilt, ashamed, deeply ashamed of their own sins, is that individual going to go out of his way to receive others into his fellowship? 
Is that individual who already is stressed going to bear up the burdens of others? You see, beloved, the important place of patience and consolation as they relate to the unity of the church. But maybe one objects and says, no, I've got it all wrong. It doesn't matter what I do in my own personal life. It doesn't matter how I respond to trials in life, whether I respond to trials with patience, seeking comfort from the Word of God, or whether I respond to trials in my life with bitterness and with anger. That doesn't affect the the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. That doesn't affect the ability of the members of the congregation to be like-minded. That's my private, my personal life. And what happens in my private and my personal life has no bearing upon the ecclesiastical life of the church of Jesus Christ. I ask of you, who makes up the church? What is the church? The essential students are taught that the church is not a building, that the church is made up of the individual members chosen by God, saved with the blood of Jesus The way that we respond to trials in our home life, in our private life, in our family living has implications for the unity or lack thereof of the church of Jesus. If we think that the unity of the church is going to start as soon as we cross through the back doors into this church building on Sunday morning and then again on Sunday evening, there never will be like-mindedness in the church. Unity doesn't start the moment we cross through the doors into church on Sunday. But unity starts in the home. Am I able, by God's grace, to respond in a sanctified, holy way to the sovereignly ordained trials that are put in my life? And as the God of consolation and patience grants unto us in grace the ability to respond in a glorifying way unto Him in our home lives that gives unto us then the ability as a congregation to live and walk together in Christian love and forbearance. Unity starts in holiness. The holier an individual is, the closer that individual is to God. 
And the closer the members of the church are unto God, the more unified that church is. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. So may our prayer be then, God, for the good of the church, grant me the ability to resist this temptation. Father, because I love even the local instituted church of Linden Protestant Reformed Church, Grant me the ability to live a life of holiness unto Thee. The goal of this unity that we have, because God gives it to us in the Scriptures, is the glory of His name. Why unity? Why to be like-minded? Verse 6 that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of unity is not that you and I might carve out for ourselves a pleasant place for us to live, The goal of unity is not so that we might have a more rewarding or satisfying experience on the Sabbath day as we come to church. The goal of unity has nothing ultimately to do about you or about me. But the goal of unity is and always has been about God. It's because the church belongs unto God. Created by Him. Redeemed by Him. Sanctified by Him. Drawn unto Him through His Word and by His Spirit. That the goal of unity in the church is so that the name of our God might be worshipped. He alone, is He not? He alone is worthy of praise. He is worthy of praise because He is God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Almighty, the Omnipotent, the Uncreated, the Everlasting Lord of Hosts. He is the God who kept His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. He is the God who to this present moment of time continues to preserve His own. And He is not just God, the omnipotent, the transcendent, the Holy One. But He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father who in an act of ultimate selfless 
forgiveness. Send His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. The Father who loved His adopted children so much that He sent His only begotten child to die. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we were reminded of this morning as we partook of the elements of the Lord's Supper. He's our Lord Jesus Christ. His blood shed. His body broken for the remission of our sins. Let us, with one mind and with one mind, give glory unto God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, wilt thou grant unto us patience and consolation through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Help us to walk lives of holiness and gratitude unto thee for the unspeakable gift which thou hast given to us in our salvation. Draw us together as a congregation that we might be like-minded one toward another according to the perfect example of Christ Jesus our Lord, in whose name alone we pray. Amen.